Kevin Markwick.
David Bowie, Scary Monsters and Super Creeps from 1980. Okay, let's see how we get on this week. Thanks again, Adrian, for a uh, groovy show. Uh, We've got all sorts, actually, tonight. We've got music from Lord, Disclosure, Magnetic Fields, Granddaddy, Kate Bush, Radiohead, among others. Cheney mops up 1984. I warn you, it may contain Kajagoogoo, so try and uh, at least prepare yourself. And the time budgie smugglers stop in 1985. Not a bad year at all in the end. It's a bit tricky squeezing it all in. Glossing over Police Academy 2, that is. And uh, we're going to play some British film composers. We're going to celebrate those in a sort of offhand way. And anything else you can think of, really. forget to get in touch I'll tell you how on the other side of Sway
Suede uh, for the Strangers from the Blood Sports album. Not sounding bad at all, really. I guess they're not that old, are they? I don't know. So get in touch with the show, please. Uh, you can hit me up on Twitter at Kevin Markwick, or you can go to the Facebook page, The Kevin Markwick Show, uh, or you can email the studio if you are that way inclined, studio at uckfieldfm.co.uk. You can even text, apparently. Start your message with the word Uckfield, then text to 80010. So please get in touch. Let me know what you think. That would be good. Who's out there? Who's listening? Um, Anissa just said they're in bed, which is a bit worrying. Um, I'll try and uh, bring it down low. All right. Um, I can't do that. That's uh, what we're going to do next. We're going to do Lord. I've never seen a diamond in the flesh. I cut my teeth on wedding rings in the movies. And I'm not proud of my address. In the torn up town, no postcode. But every song's like gold teeth, grey goose dripping in the bathroom Bloodstains, ball gowns, trash in the hotel room We don't care, we're driving Cadillacs in our dreams But everybody's like crystal, Maybach, diamonds on your timepiece Jet planes, islands, tigers on a gold leash We don't care, we aren't caught up in your love affair And we'll never be Dream. 
the outrageously talented Ella Maria Lani Yelich O'Connor, uh, or to give her her full stage name, Lord, uh, from New Zealand, and a mere 16 year, years old. Not that that's in the least bit depressing. We'll have a break, and when we come back, we're going to have some declo- di- disclosure, and I will have uh, sorted my, my uh, speaking voice out.
Disclosure, help me lose my mind. Disclosure being Guy and Howard Lawrence all the way from uh, Rygate in Mozambique, wasn't it? No, Rygate in Surrey, of course. Uh, now, what we got coming up is uh, we got a couple more tracks, from, uh, one from Magnetic Fields, one from Granddaddy, then we'll take a break and then we sort of do that handbrake turn into the uh, film part of the show where I'm going to play you um, three, four tracks actually by um, rather wonderful British composers and sort of sandwiched like a big filling in the middle of that. He's um, going to be Cheney uh, mopping up his uh, 1984... I'm, I'm actually losing track of where we are. We're actually at the halfway point, 1985, and Cheney's mopping up 1984. Yes, I think I've got the hang of it. So uh, stay tuned for that, please. Uh, and in the meantime, uh, listen to some magnetic fields. <laughs>
the wonderful magnetic fields from the uh, realism album in uh, 2010 so uh, are you ready for this uh, one more track then we'll have a break and then it's the filmy stuff and this is the wonderful wonderful granddaddy and the uh, much more difficultly titled non-phenomenal lineage lineage let's call the whole thing off Granddaddy, non-phenomenal lineage, lineage, I don't know, one or the other. Okay, so uh, relax your pants and I'll see you on the other side of this. Kevin Markwick. 105, Uckfield FM. 
Now, what we're going to do for this section of the show before we hit 1995 is uh, I'm going to just do all British composers, actually, because you may remember last week um, I played that lovely piece um, by Jeremy Sams from Enduring Love uh, in place of the fact that I couldn't actually get hold of the soundtrack from The Weekend, which is rather marvellous. And lo and behold, uh, Jeremy got in touch with the show and he sent me the music, which is great. And thank you very, very much. I'm absolutely overwhelmed, which means that I can play it for you. This is uh, more gorgeous music from Jeremy, the end credits from The Weekend. stuff from uh, Le Weekend, Roger Michel's uh, rather lovely film, actually, which is just about coming to the end of its run uh, in Arkfield. I think by Thursday it'll be gone. Uh, we've had it on for several weeks and it's done really, really well, but I can highly, highly recommend that you go and see it. And that's uh, part of Jeremy Sam's wonderful score for, for that film. So what uh, I thought I'd do is stick with uh, British composers. We're moving to Scotland now. And Patrick uh, Doyle, who actually writes a lot of stuff for um, Kenneth Branagh films, you know, Henry V and uh, Hamlet. He's also done Gosford Park and Thor. <laughs> and I don't know why that's funny. I don't know. It's not funny, is it, just to say Thor? Nope. So uh, one of the things he did compose uh, the score for was one of our biggest films of all time, Zen's and Sensibility. And this is a, a track called Throw the Coins.
yeah, it's very nice. Uh, part of uh, Patrick Daw's score for Sense and Sensibility, the um, Ang Lee film, of course. Uh, and that's called Throw the Coin. So we're going to stay in Scotland, actually. Yeah, I sense a conspiracy. And Craig Armstrong, who uh, has worked quite extensively with uh, Baz Luhrmann, uh, doing the score for Romeo and Juliet, amongst others, and Moulin Rouge. He also wrote the uh, music for Love Actually and World Trade Center and Elizabeth and The Incredible Hulk. Can't say I remember the score for that one. But w- one of Baz Luhrmann's scores he did actually compose is um, for The Great Gatsby. And this is a rather nice uh, section called Boats Against the Current and a Daisy's Theme. And Cheney next, ladies.
Roots Against the Current and Daisy's Theme from Craig Armstrong's score for the certainly financially successful uh, adaptation of F. Scott Fitzgerald's The Great Gatsby by Baz Luhrmann, of course. OK, uh, it's time for Mr Cheney Kent. Hello. There has always been an honourable and no doubt lucrative tradition of the pop song that sells the movie. Perhaps in reaction to the success of MTV, this musician-filmmaker partnership came into its own in the 1980s. 1984 brought us the literally interminable never-ending story, with Limal doing for Giorgio Moroder what Scarface couldn't. In addition, we had a biopic of musical institution with Francis Ford Coppola's Cotton Club, the self-generating biopic Purple Rain, for which Prince did his own everything, the celebrated spoof rock doc This Is Spinal Tap, and, popping out of the other side of the irony wormhole, again, almost literally, Sting had a non-singing role in David Lynch's Dune. I think that Raikuda's metallic slide guitar in Paris, Texas is the least self-interested and the most effective. A genuine mirage in music as Harry Dean Stanton just keeps on walking through the desert. truly serving classical music in 1984, there is no argument to be had. Milos Forman's Amadeus is a belligerent adaptation of Peter Schaffer's play. Original in almost every respect, the film's greatest asset is, of course, the back catalogue of one of the greatest musicians in history. The pitiful heart of the story turns on Salieri's recollection of the premier performances of Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart's opera Don Giovanni. 
The sequence is actually staged properly in a theatre in Prague and uses an increasingly violent montage between Hulse's fevered, even possessed Mozart, conducting the lapsarian climax of the opera, whilst F. Murray Abraham, a Salieri, no less demented in cutaway, recalls the wonder of the music and his delight at discovering his rival's psychological Achilles' heel. The drama of the music alone is such that Guy Ritchie uses the same sequence to underscore an assassination in his second Sherlock Holmes film. Here's the original. And as I stood, understanding how that bitter old man was still possessing his poor son, even from beyond the grave, I began to see a way, a terrible way, I could finally triumph over God. As Kevin was pointing out last week, 1984 may have been a rich year for film, but it was also a rather dark one socially. The AIDS epidemic reached the national consciousness, and I can't help but wonder whether the opening confrontation of the first Terminator movie in a downtown nightclub, with its themes of science fiction, persistent threat, and apparently arbitrary murder, might have resonated hard with much of its audience. Brad Fiedel's noble but defeatist theme music certainly reclaims the reality of the present from the speculative future of Blade Runner and the Star Wars films. As for me, I was still buried in the cuddly, filtered science fiction on offer, and that meant Supergirl. I know, it's an icky spin-off that not even an all-star cast can quite rescue, but it does have what any filmmaker really wants, which is a Jerry Goldsmith soundtrack. While Christopher Reeve channeled John Williams' reworking of Richard Strauss, Goldsmith worked up this robust, old-school Hollywood romance with some of his trademark electronic innovations sneaked in. Goodbye.
There she goes, Supergirl. They really were ringing the last out of that franchise with that one, weren't they? Fading away. Isn't Peter Cook in it? Anyway, thank you, Cheney. That was blinking marvellous, as usual. Um, and we're going to have a break now, and when we come back, we're going to have some Harry Gregson Williams. So, concluding our rather cobbled-together trawl through some British composers, taking us up to the news, uh, a rather nice cue called Evacuating London, part of uh, Harry Gregson Williams' score for the Chronicles of Narnia. When we come back, it's time to put on your time trunks, and it'll be 1985. See you on the other side.
the fourth dimension. You, you see, we can move in the other three. As the doctor said, up, down, forwards, backwards, sideways. But when it comes to time, we are prisoners. Hey, Doc, we better back up. We don't have enough roads to get up to 88. Roads? Well, we're going, we don't need roads. You maniac! You blow it up! Damn you! God damn you all to hell! Must be some kind of hot tub time machine. So here we are in 1985. Most of it's lost to me through a haze of alcohol, if I'm honest. Are you allowed to say things like that? Well, I just did. So, things what happened in 1985. Reagan gets a second term as president of the US and Mikhail Gorbachev becomes leader of the Soviet Union. Mohammed Al-Fayed buys Harrods. Fair enough. And Coca-Cola changes its formula and has to withdraw it three months later because everyone hated it. Live Aid happened. And EastEnders goes on the air for the first time. Is it jogging any brain cells yet? The UK public uh, once again prove their unyielding devotion to great music when The Power of Love by Jennifer Rush becomes the best-selling single of the year. And the best-selling album is Brothers in Arms by Dire Straits. I did buy that one, if I'm honest. And others. The indie single chart uh, is actually dominated by the Smiths. There's about four or five of those. And in November, there was a number one single thing, thing, thingle for the Cramps and the wonderful Can Your Pussy Do the Dog. So at the movies then... Middling to good? No, actually good, I would say. It was, as uh, you will see, the year of Maurice Shaw. Or one of the years for Maurice Shaw. He wrote quite a few good film scores, if we're honest. So, Bubbling Under, mate. Uh, Amadeus, which is, I know, uh, it's very confusing that... Um, Cheney just did that from 1984, but that's because it didn't come out until 1985 in the UK. <sighs> in fact, a lot of that was happening in the 80s. We were a bit behind. Doesn't matter, does it, really? Uh, Never-ending story, see, what well, I did just then. I refer the honourable gentleman to the answer I gave some moments ago. And Walter Murch's dark and strange return to Oz. The kids screaming, they were running out of the cinema when we showed that. In fact, what was funny was it went out with um, Tim Burton's short film, Frank and Weenie, which was a live-action thing, and they were petrified by that, and they came out, and when we finally got them all calmed down, we took them 
they went back in and had to watch Return to Oz and came flying out again. Uh, there's probably a whole generation of kids that will never go to the cinema or who will never watch a scary film. Anyway, uh, but at number 10, some proper job filmmaking. Uh, bear in mind, this is the top 10 of uh, 1985. Peter Weir's Witness, grossing £3.1 million. Uh, the story of a cop, John Book, who goes into hiding from his own uh, police department to protect a young Amish boy who's witnessed a murder by a fellow officer. Uh, great performances from Harrison Ford and Kelly McGillis and the young Lucas Hass as the boy Samuel. Uh, spot on script by William Kelly and great images by John Seale. Uh, mainstream Hollywood entertainment, yes, but done with maturity and style. Like me, really. Uh, Peter Weir, definitely one of my favourite directors, handles it all perfectly. And the score is, of course, by Maestro Maurice Shaw. Maurice Shah's score for Witness, Peter Weir's great film from 1985. I think that was the barn reason bit, wasn't it? I think I'm probably right. Okay, so, uh, ooh, number nine then. And you can dance for inspiration. Come on. 
Here is a film so 80s that it hurts. Desperately Seeking Susan grossed uh, £3.6 million. We definitely played it. Yep. It, we, didn't take, we didn't take £3.6 million, though. Because if we did, I'd be doing this from my jacuzzi in Vegas. It's a frothy sort of fun about a dull woman played by Rosanna Arquette trying to uh, inject some excitement into her life. So she poses as someone else, um, played by sort of kooky dookie Madonna in a part that would probably be played by Zooey Deschanel today. Yeah, it's all highly improbable, but as a record of the times, it's interesting. That's all really. It spawned this massive hit, which was the third best-selling single of the year. Okay, so there was sequel fun at number eight. (laughs) Grossing £4.1 million, the third Mad Max film. Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome. I don't, I'm so, why am I saying it in that voice? It's the music that makes you say it in that voice. In a world. Okay, so uh, this is Maurice Jarre again, by the way. Uh, with an even bigger budget, uh, filmmaker George Miller pushes the boat out and tells a hugely entertaining story of uh, sort of post apocalyptic insanity. <laughs> When Max, some 15 years after the last story, gets involved with the bonkers aunt entity, memorably played by Tina Turner. The Thunderdome of the title is an arena where all disputes are settled in Barter Town. Two men enter, one man leaves. It's actually well worth having another look at. Some really good intelligent sci-fi, and I do believe they're making another one with Tom Hardy as Mad Max this time. What's wrong with Mel? Yeah, I know. Anyway, you all know the song We Don't Need Another Hero. But this is some of the score by our old friend Maurice Jarre. But what I wanted to play you, actually, was the opening credit music, which I, was, I rather liked. Uh, it was a song by Tina Turner, but quite effective introduction to the film called One of the Living.
One of the Living, Tina Turner, which is the uh, only, just that bit there, here you go, just that bit. That's the only credit uh, sequence from Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome, which was the uh, number eight film in 1985. Okay, we'll have a break, and when we come back, well, number seven, of course. So it's Kevin Markwick here with the top 10 films from 1985. Uh, do you have any 1985 movie memories? Uh, get in touch at Kevin Markwick or uh, that's on Twitter uh, or on the Facebook page, The Kevin Markwick Show. You can find us there or you can actually uh, go to the website www. Uh.uckfieldfm.co.uk and uh, click on the webcams and you can see the back of my head and you can abuse me in uh, in text, which is which is nice. Uh, so where do we get to? Oh, the last hurrah of uh, one of Britain's greatest ever filmmakers, David Lean. At number seven, uh, A Passage to India grossed £4.3 million and uh, was based on the novel by E.M. Forster and set at the time of the Raj. It was a top-draw, meticulously crafted work that even at the time seemed just a little old-fashioned. Uh, it was Lean's uh, first film, actually, since Ryan's daughter in 1970, the long gap being down to Lean's disgust at Ryan, uh, Ryan's daughter being treated unfairly by the critics and, his, and probably his tortuous working pr- uh, practices as well. It took forever to get the script finished. Um, it would be Lean's last film, and he died before getting round to what would have been a fascinating version of uh, Conrad's Nostromo. And despite some uh, missteps, not least the uh, blacking up uh, of longtime collaborator Alec Guinness to play an Indian, it's a solid, uh, it's solid in a way rarely seen anymore. And um, guess what? <laughs> the score was by Maurice Jarre.
Maurice Jarre's score for A Passage to India, uh, which was the number six film in 1985. And that actually gives you quite an indication, doesn't it, of the range of uh, music that a composer is expected to score. We've done three of those from Maurice Jarre, and they're all quite different. Witness, uh, Mad Max, and that, I mean, that's a much more conventional score, of course. Uh, but nevertheless, uh, engaging, I thought. OK, so uh, what's next? At number five... Grossing six point three million pounds. Rambo. First Blood Part Two. Uh, Stallone uh, has now moved John Rambo well away from any bounds of credibility, and has him as some kind of gnarly Superman, rescuing imprisoned American soldiers from the. Re- ridiculously caricatured Vietnamese who all seem unable to hit a barn door from 20 paces and he does it all without a shirt on utterly ridiculous but made by a staggering array of talent Uh, screenplay credit for James Cameron cinematography by the great Jack Cardiff Mm-hmm. And a score by Jerry Goldsmith. Hang your heads in shame, British cinema goers. At number four, Police Academy 2. I don't think any music exists for that. Their first assignment, grossing £6.6 million. More than a David Lean film released that year. I used to have these fantasies, because the more we showed them, the more uh, I came to hate them. Um, And, you know, prints, 35mm prints, you know, were expensive items. Uh, So I used to have this fantasy on a a Thursday night when the film finished, when we finally got rid of it... um, that instead of because uh, we used to have to put it back in the cans uh, or the plastic tins as they were plastic tins yeah they were plastic tins um we'd put them back in and send you know pack them up and send them off and they'd go to another poor cinema uh but i always had this fantasy that instead of uh it, when it came out of the bottom of the projector i just put the wheelie bin under the projector <laughs> And Police Academy films would just go straight into the wheelie bin and then I'd put them outside for collection. It never happened, though, did it? No. So, uh, what was that one? That was number four. Blimey. So, at number three, then, was this old nonsense. Grossing $6.9 million. Beverly Hills Cop. And do you know what? I've never seen it. Can't tell you why. Just never got round to it. 
I know what it is, but I'm reticent to pass comment. Because I haven't seen it. It all looks very entertaining in that smart-ass Eddie Murphy way. And as soon as it appears on Netflix, I promise I'll give it a go. There were lots of tedious hit records from it, though. And this was marginally less tedious than some of them. So at number two, Dodger is back. And thankfully for the last time, A View to a Kill grossed £8 million. Man in corset slides into bed with woman half his age and wears slacks, basically. Uh, this is a film on autopilot, tired and desperately in need of new ideas. Uh, some of you may remember back in 1980, I maintained that when a Bond comes out, it'll always be number one. Shows you just how full of nonsense I really am. Anyway, Duran Duran did the theme song. It was OK, but uh, pandering to the prevailing fashions, really, and not Bondy enough for my liking. Uh, there's no pleasing some people, is there? to a kill so what was the number one film in 1985 yeah no doubt really a big summer hit in the US and arriving in November actually over here grossing a whomping 12.1 million pounds Back to the Future is certainly one of the most satisfying mainstream films made. Uh, it stands up to repeated viewing and, to get technical for a second, boasts a screenplay that is perfectly constructed. Um, I think the secret to its success is that it keeps moving the point of view so that sometimes we know as much as Marty, sometimes we know less, uh, and sometimes we know as much as he does. And this constant shifting gives the audience the impression that they're working out the problem along with Marty and the doc thereby drawing them so completely into the story that it feels truly satisfying by the final reel. Uh, and of course, the score by uh, Alan Silvestri has become iconic. <laughs> ¶¶ 
yes, wonderful stuff. It doesn't get any better than that, does it, eh? That's what sitting in a cinema is all about. Uh, the score, Alan Silvestri's uh, classic, marvellous, wonderful score for uh, Back to the Future, the top-grossing film in 1985 in the UK. Now, what else was there about then? Mm, let's have a look down the list of glory. Agnes of God, that was good. Normanson. Normanson. <laughs> Norman Jewison's film, and of course Brazil, oh yes, Terry Gilliam's masterpiece, which uh, I haven't got the books out in the hallway actually, I should look that up, because it was actually the lowest grossing film in Upfield for a very, very long time, I think we had 18 people came to see it in a week. Yes. So thank you, Uckfield, for that. Uh, the Colour Purple, uh, that came out, apparently. Um, Dance with a Stranger, Mike Newell's uh, film with Rupert Everett and Miranda Richardson. That was very good. Uh, Desperately Seeking Susan with Cover. Oh, Dream Child. I really like that with Ian Holm and Coral Brown uh, about the sort of real-life Alice that... Um, what's his name? Uh, Dodgson, isn't it? Uh, the guy that wrote Alice in Wonderland. Um based his uh, yeah that was that was really good actually and it had uh, the Muppets in it well not though they weren't the Muppets but there were puppets in it which were great uh, The Emerald Forest that was good oh this is good I was enjoying myself at this time this in 1985 John Borman's film uh, if you haven't read Money Into Light I can highly recommend that which is his John Borman's book about making the Emerald Forest uh, if you want an insight into what it takes to make a film uh, and make a film in the jungle as well uh, Falcon and the Snowman Schlesinger's Picture that was good Fright night oh this is great oh we should do a we should do a whole other 1985 program that doesn't involve the box office uh jagged edge classic thriller richard markwin's classic thriller with glenn close and jeff bridges uh lady hawk hmm, legend now that was an odd one with ridley scott uh the, you can't see the cut that came out in the uk anymore you just can't get it the only the cut warner brothers will put out is this atrocious uh 91 minute version because uh, the original ran over two hours um and it they they, they took off uh, i think it was jerry goldsmith wasn't it his score and sort of ladled this awful pop pop score over it and it i mean it well you know it was an acquired taste, admittedly, but they really trashed it uh, with uh, sort of young Tom Cruise, Mia Sarah, Tim Curry as the uh, sort of de evil devil guy. Letter to Brezhnev. Oh, the, the list is endless. This is great. And uh, what's the time? Have I got to stop for a break? Oh, blimey. I've got to do one of these. I'm going to get into trouble. So that was 1985, uh, and the list actually keeps going on. Maybe we'll refer back to it uh, later, I don't know. Uh, in the meantime, uh, in the last half an hour, on the way to the news, just some really blinking good music.
So, sat in your lap uh, from uh, Kate Bush from the 1981 album The Dreaming. Now, so, uh, yes, Cheney's somewhat, you know, smugly, if I'm honest. Uh, 1985 without the box office, he says on Twitter. Tune in for my slot next week. Yeah, thanks. I think I've definitely done this the, the wrong way round, don't you think? One, two, three, four... Again, I think it must, must be the program I'm using. It hasn't aged a day, has it? From 1977 uh, and uh, the um, Rocket to Russia album, of course, uh, that was the um, Ramones and Rockaway Beach. OK, so uh, moving on, because I've got a few tracks to get in and I've already spoken too much. Uh, we'll have a couple in a row. Uh, this is Radiohead, Fake Plastic Trees. The green plastic watering For a fake Chinese rubber plant And a fake plastic girl What you bought from a rubber man In a town full of Around. 
Kevin Markwick. 105, Uckfield FM. I looked at many thus scorched by the fiery floor. And though I scanned their faces with the utmost heed, there was no one there I recognized. But I saw how stamped with charge and tincture plain to read about the neck of each a great purse hung. Whereon their eyes seem still to fix and hate. At fifteen years old, I had to know what makes you fail, what makes you grow. I stare at my like foreign lands Would they do what I wish Or would they persist In holding me down A stone in the Side of my head 
wonderful uh steve mason lie awake <laughs> it did it again i'm just gonna go back and rebuild the show for the ground up mate uh before that you heard of course uh from the bends um fake plastic trees from radiohead now that is pretty much it we got some thomas dolby coming after the break but uh, other than that, and which means, t- rather tragically, I haven't had time to get Bernard Cribbins in, which is annoying. So I'll try and shoehorn him in next week. So um, please, please get in touch with the show and let me know what you think. Uh, if you're on the podcast, hello, podcasters. Welcome along. I'm really glad that you're downloading the show, which you can do. There are many ways to find it. Go to iTunes or you can... Uh, or you can just search the internet for what you need to know. Uh, but anyway, it's really great that you listen. I really do appreciate it. I have such a great time doing this show. So um, what we'll do is we'll have a break, and then we'll come back with uh, Thomas Dolby from about 1983 or 4. I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll check while this is on. 105 So what have we learned this evening? Um... We've learned that preparation is really important, uh, and actually, I do do quite a lot of prep for the show. Uh, and but the other important thing is to do uh, to do is to remember the end uh, of your tracks. Don't just check the beginnings, check the ends. And I think you've heard me say that before, haven't you? Yes. All right. So I'm going to leave you with um, uh, from the album The Flat Earth in uh, 1984. This is a wonderful, wonderful track called uh, Screen Kiss, which invokes uh, sort of memories of Los Angeles and Hollywood and all sorts of things. Uh, and I'll see you next week. Uh, love you all. Bye.
Area, including Los Angeles. 